podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Okay, uh, let's jump into the word, shall we? Amen. All right. Father, thank you so much for the power and the ministry and the anointing of the Holy Spirit that takes human words and makes them so full of life. And Father, we pray today that you would anoint not only this vessel, but Father God, that you would anoint our ears, that you would anoint our eyes to see things that we've never seen before. Father God, you would tenderize our hearts and our mindsets and our belief systems to think differently about you, about ourselves, about the world around us. And Father, as we prayed already and as we sung already, we are asking that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. Well, we are gonna be starting a new series today that will probably lead us um, all the way up to the week before uh, two services. There is a phrase that Jesus mentions in all the gospels. He mentions it multiple times. And that phrase is very simple. It's a phrase that you've heard here several times, even over the past couple of weeks. Pastor Jonathan preached on it a few weeks ago. And we're just going to take that phrase and we're going to look at several occurrences where Jesus mentions this phrase throughout the gospels. The phrase very simply is, follow me. Follow me. Because to be a Christian, to be a disciple, is to be a follower of Jesus. And so in this day and age, we are going to explore what does that mean to follow him? What does it mean to follow him faithfully? What does that mean to be a committed and devoted follower of Jesus? Because for a lot of people, it looks like different things. And there were several key occurrences where Jesus emphatically used that phrase, follow me. So if you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Matthew chapter four. <clears throat> Beginning at verse 18. Matthew chapter four, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for they were fishermen. Come, come. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and they followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father, preparing their nets, and Jesus called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So today we're gonna talk about the fact that following Jesus implies mission. We cannot say that we're followers of Jesus and not be on mission with God. Discipleship is missional in its nature. Discipleship is missional in its nature. 
To follow Christ is to care about the people that Christ cares about. That is what it means to be on mission with Jesus. And I think that it's no coincidence and it's no accident that the first time we see this phrase, Jesus rolls up on guys that are entrenched in their vocation. They are at work. They are busy in a very, very good sense. They are connected and tethered to the community. They're connected to family. And Jesus rolls up and disorients them. And he says, all of this is what you're doing. It's good. It's good. I want you to continue to be a contributing member of society, but I want you to be about the father's business. Remember that story where Mary has the home alone moment and Joseph and Mary are going to Jerusalem. They're there for a few days and then they're caravanning back and they're like, Jesus. Right? And Jesus is hanging out in the temple with the teachers of the day. And they, they, uh, Joseph and Mary come back and they find Jesus and they're like, What are you doing? You scared us. And Jesus just said, Don't you know how to be about my father's business? I have to be about the things that my father is about. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ, that the things that are important to the heart of God, that they become important to us. And they may not be intuitively important to us at first. The values of the kingdom are things that we learn over time. But to be a follower of Christ is to say, Lord, the things that are important to you, I posture and I position my heart and my mind and my value systems and my belief system to allow those things that are important to you to become important to me so much that it changes the way that I live. I would venture to say that a person cannot truly and authentically follow Jesus and remain the same. In fact, every person that Jesus called into discipleship, their lives never looked the same again. And every single one of us, when we encounter Jesus, we have choices. And we can tune Jesus out. We can tune the message of the gospel out. We can hear it so much that it becomes like white noise to us. And we stop allowing it to guide and govern and change the way that we live. He's called Lord for a reason. It implies that he holds sovereign authority over our lives. We're so democratic in nature, guys. We are so democratic. We are conditioned to believe that we are entitled we are conditioned to believe that I am totally going off the script here. This is not what I was supposed to talk about today. Here's what we're supposed to talk about, loving people. All right, go with me to Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter eight, gotta get back on track. So just to back up, Jesus calls these fishermen and he says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. I will make you skilled. I will make you intentional about connecting with the world around you. So what we have happen here is in Matthew chapter five, going into six and seven, Jesus goes up on a mountainside and this is where we have the beautiful Sermon on the Mount where Jesus begins to teach and explain the nature of the kingdom of God. But once he comes down off that mountain, Matthew chapter eight really is the first encounter with people that are far from him that he has since he calls the disciples in Matthew chapter four. So let's look what happens here in Matthew chapter eight. And I've got five different types of people that I believe that following Jesus calls us to care about 
and calls us to love. And I'm gonna race through these in the next few minutes. Verse one, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And a man with leprosy came and he knelt before him and he said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. I think the first person that comes up on the scene here in Matthew chapter eight that calls attention for us to care about and love and love deeply is the person who is unlovely. The leper represents the person who's unlovely. And every single one of us have people that are in our proximity or people that we know or people that just pop up spontaneously in our grid that we might consider unlovely. In fact, if we're really, really honest with ourselves, we go out of our way to avoid the unlovely. We go out of our way to avoid the person that is pressing into our space that's maybe a little socially obnoxious or awkward, that maybe, maybe, maybe physically uh, is not as beautiful or attractive, maybe financially or socioeconomically, they're not in the same status that we would be. And if we got really down into the weeds of this, you know, when we go and we walk downtown, there are people that are unlovely that, that press us, right? People that are in our space. And the thing that I think that is so fascinating about this story is that we find when we read the rest of Matthew chapter eight that Jesus could have healed this man from a distance. And the reason why I know this is because the next story, he heals a Roman centurion's slave from a distance. So we know that the word has power to heal even if you are not present. But what is so fascinating here is that this leper did not just need physical healing. He needed social restoration because he was an outcast. He was disenfranchised from his community because anyone who was a leper was considered unclean and they were removed socially and relationally from the community. God cares about relational and emotional healing, friends. He cares about that. One of the ways I know this, if you recall, there was a man living in sin in 1 Corinthians. He was actually having an illicit sexual relationship with his mother-in-law. And Paul says, you need to deal swiftly and you need to deal strictly with this sin. You need to address it and confront it. He's teaching the church at Corinth how to deal with these kind of issues. But then in the next book, when he writes to him, he says, listen, you need to restore him back into fellowship. Don't give the enemy an opportunity any longer to condemn this man. He has repented, he has changed. Now restore him back into the social standing of the relationship that he has with the community. God has called us to love those who are unlovely. And Jesus comes near. One of the things that I love about Jesus is Jesus is just not grossed out. He's just not grossed out. He's not grossed out physically. He's not grossed out by what he smells. He's not grossed out by what we're wearing or not wearing. He's not grossed out by tattoos or nose rings. He's not grossed out by hairstyles. He's, he's just, he's not, he, he doesn't react. He sees a leper. And instead of going, yes, 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 you're healed. Go show yourself to the, he comes in and he pulls this man and he reaches out his hand and he touches him. This leper is like rogue for all of you X-Men fans who's never been touched physically. I know I'm talking to a small segment of the population this morning. 
but I think I just won someone's heart over this morning. Like, now you get it. You're like, I get it. It's like Rogue just took the glove off and Jesus put his hand in hers and boom, all of that isolation and rejection that had been taking place for years was healed in a moment. Jesus calls us to love the unlovely as fishers of people. And in so doing, he calls us to press into and beyond our discomfort. Calls us to love the unlovely. And in order to do that, we must press into our discomfort. Number two, let's keep reading. Matthew chapter eight, verse five. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? I love this. The centurion replied, Lord, no, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. Tell this one, go. When he goes, that one, come. He comes. I say to my servant, do this. He does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and he said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Say to you that many will come from the east and the west. They'll take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The subject of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go and let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. Two different types of people that emerge in this story. The next person that Jesus calls us to love if we were to be fishers of people are our enemies. Jesus calls us to love our enemies. Part of what it means to be a fisher of men and women, a fisher of mankind, is to have a supernatural compassion for those that are not like us. Those that think differently than us. Those that are opposed to us. Does anybody here have any context, any contextual awareness of what a Roman centurion meant in that day and age? Jesus was a Jew. The Jewish people were oppressed by the Roman Empire. So a Roman centurion was the muscle of the Roman Empire. And this man who was in position, right? Yeah, I'm rolling up my sleeves now. I'm about to get dirty. <laughs> yeah, I have muscle. So the Roman centurion here was an enemy of the Jewish people. He was an enemy. Where do you get off coming to Jesus and asking for help? You don't have the right. The audacity for you to be a person of power, representing an empire that is abusing power and now, now you know what it feels like to be in need and you come to someone greater than yourself asking for help. And Jesus demonstrates for us what he just got through preaching on the mountain. Love your enemies and be kind and forgive and do well to those who are person. Not doing a good job as the friend. I'm, I'm here to tell you today. We're not doing a good job as the Christian community in America. At least on Facebook, we're not. Maybe on Facebook, we just think. Maybe we just we just feel a bit more emboldened. 
right? But we're not doing a good job loving our enemy. We're not doing a good job loving those from other countries. We're not doing a good job loving those who have a different political affiliation. We're not doing a good job loving those who are choosing or, or maybe have wrestled their entire lives with a sexual orientation. We're not doing a good job loving them. We're not doing a good job loving terrorists or Muslims. We're just not doing a good job. And we need to check ourselves and just say, God, show me what it means. What does it look like for me to love my enemy? Because to be a fisher of people, and listen, I'm gonna just keep saying this over and over again. If you wanna be a follower of Jesus, you've signed up. You, didn't, you probably didn't realize it. Maybe you got hoodwinked. I think for him, he was very clear. For all of us evangelicals, we were like, hey, you wanna get out of hell? Come up to an altar. What you didn't realize is when you came up and asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, you were signing up to be a fisherman. You were signing up to be a fisherwoman. You were signing up to care about the state of people's lives. And part of those people are our enemies. Okay, I'm, I'm already kind of halfway in. And now mentally I'm going, should I pull back or not? But, but I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna press in a little bit. Listen, we're going to two services. This is a really good time for you to leave. Okay. But guys, listen, this is... This is I just, I need you to hear what I am saying and I need you to hear what I'm not saying in this next statement. Okay, so in, in calling us to love our enemies, Jesus is calling us to move beyond our prejudice, right? So he calls us to love the unlovely and in so doing, we have to move into and past our discomfort. Then he calls us to love our enemy, which means we have to identify and confront our prejudices that we have. Now here's the controversial topic here because the next person we see in the story is a slave but there are some scholars that believe that this slave was not just a normal slave there are some scholars that believe that because of the greek language that is used here that this slave was actually a lover now this will mess with you and i want you to i just want you to know right now i'm not the point that i'm making here is is that Jesus was fully aware. I believe that Jesus could have been fully, fully aware of what this Roman centurion was asking. And look at Jesus's immediate response. His immediate response is not how, hey, listen, first of all, you're an enemy. First of all, you're abusing power. First of all, you shouldn't be in this relationship with this man. What are you doing? How dare you ask me to come to your house? The first thing Jesus says is, I'll come to your house. Look at that posture. Like, don't try to back me into a corner on political or moral statements. I'm not, that's not where I'm at right now. Where I am at is that when people who are different than Jesus come, Jesus's immediate response is, I wanna go to your house. Jesus's immediate response is, can I come and have dinner with you? Jesus's immediate response is, come, can we have a conversation? Can I get into the weeds of what's going on in your life right now? Because I'm not going to assume that I know what's happened in your life before I come and I start preaching at you that you're wrong. Jesus says, can I come to your house? I will come. I'm willing to come to your house. No, 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 no. You can't come to my house. I, I, I know what it means to be a person of under authority. 
Now, I think the Roman centurion knew very well what was going on. He didn't realize he was talking to. He didn't realize I have the son of God before me right now. He didn't realize that this man knows everything about me and he knows everything about my servant. Now, you don't come to my house. Jesus calls us to love those who are not only unlovely, to press into our discomfort. He calls us not only to love our enemy, to press into our prejudice. He calls us to love those who are lowly. And he calls us to press into and love beyond our status. And even love beyond our religious convictions, you guys. I think this is the mantra. I think this is why Jesus came personifying God. I think that's one of the reasons why he was crucified. I mean, he just completely turned the religious system up on its head, not just by what he preached, but the guy was sitting out having dinner with sinners. He was going into taverns and pulling out prostitutes and saying, be healed, be cleansed, leave your life of sin. He wasn't picking up a stone and, and getting on the bandwagon of everybody who was accusing. Right. He was saying, you're a Roman centurion, I'll go to your house and let's talk, let's have a conversation, the son of God. The kingdom of God is for you. The kingdom of God is for you. Guys, listen, there is not one human being where the, that the kingdom of God is not for. And you and I kind of serving as, you know, sentinel guards on the, on the, on the moral wall of, of Christianity is, is not helping the cause. It's just not helping the cause. All right, let's keep going. Uh, as the story goes, Jesus then goes from here and he hangs out at Peter's house, verse 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever and he touched her hand and the fever left her and she got up and began waiting on him. You know, I think for some of us, we go, yeah, love the unlovely. Yes, love our enemy. Yes, love the lowly. But then if I were to say, Jesus calls us to love our family. Nah, come on. <laughs> I'd rather spend my time outside of the home. All the idiosyncrasies, all the drama, all the contention, all the hurt, all the rejection, all the pain, you don't understand. No, Jesus goes into Peter's house and he says, if you're gonna be a fisher of men, yes, I want you to love the unlovely. Yes, I want you to love the enemy. Yes, I want you to love the lowly. But the thing that substantiates all of this is your love for your family. Even the family members that have hurt, rejected, violated, abused, abandoned you. Now listen, let me just pastor you here for one second. I am not saying that loving family members means that we don't have boundaries. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that loving family members means that we willingly put ourselves in a place of being abused or hurt or taken advantage of. I am not saying that. I'm saying the posture of our heart is, and listen, I will also say, that there are times and seasons to these things, you guys. There are times and seasons. And what I mean by that is there is a time where maybe you need to put some separation, where you need to put some distance. 
for the, for the long-term sake of the relationship. It is not healthy for me to be in this level of proximity and interaction with you because of what it stirs inside of me, because I am not healed, because I am not whole, because your demons start talking to my demons and our demons just start having a, a party together. It's not healthy. And if you need to draw some boundaries and say, but, but communicate, communicate. Say, listen, mom, dad, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, like for a season of time, I know you don't understand this. I know you're gonna pull out all your weapons of manipulation and control out against me, but I've got to protect me so that I can love you. <clears throat> I've got to love me so that I can love you. I've got to get whole so that I can be a faithful witness to the demonstration of the power of God to your life. So for a season of time, I'm gonna, I'm gonna lessen the visits. We're not coming home for Christmas because every Christmas for the past 30 years, it's just turned into a fight and I'm not doing it anymore, but I love you and the Father loves you. And I know you're gonna say a lot of ugly things, but I'm separating myself for a while. Guys, I'm, letting, I'm giving you permission today. But the posture of your heart must be, God, move me into a place where I can forgive them. Move me to a place where I can have your perspective. Move me in a place where I can be tender and I can be merciful. But that does not mean you put yourself back into a place where you are gonna get annihilated. I just think if we're not careful, we can write our family members off. Part of loving our family means we need to move into our familiarity. Right? To be a fisher of men, to be a fisher of women is to be a follower of Jesus. To be a follower of Jesus is to be on mission with him, caring about the people that are in our world, in your world, in your sphere. And in our sphere, we have people that are unlovely and we have to love beyond our discomfort. We have people who are our enemies and we have to love into our prejudices. We have people who are lowly and we have to love into and beyond our statuses. And we have people who are family members and we have to love into our familiarity. Because we can become familiar with our family members. Here's, here's a last story I see in Matthew chapter eight connected to what it means to follow Jesus. We're gonna pick the story up in verse 28. He arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes and two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, go. So they came out and they went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off. They went into the town and they reported all of this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. The next grouping of people that I see that God calls us to lean into and to love as fishers of people is to love the unreached, is to care about the unreached. And we have all kinds of unreached people here in Colorado Springs and our community. People that have been written off, people that are forgotten people that are unknown, people that are unseen, people that are invisible. I think, I think to some degree, 
a lot of our kids and a lot of our family members in the foster care system would be unreached people groups. I think in some degree, the LGBTQ community in our city and around the world are a form of an unreached people group. And then we have actual unreached people groups globally. What I love about this story is that Jesus actually gets into a boat and he crosses a sea and he goes into another land where there were two people there. And as the scripture tells us, they were so demonically infested that on a territorial level, on a territorial level, what was operating in this man or these two men was, infect, was affecting the entire region. And no one wanted to go that way. That's the definition of being unreached. No one is reaching out to them. And anything they, and, and their form of reaching out is let's just subdue them and chain them and quiet them so we can forget them. That, that was the approach of reaching these men. And isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing that before Jesus gets here, he gets on a boat that's piloted by professional fishermen who have been on this sea their entire lives. And there's a storm that comes up that is of a different kind of nature. And isn't it also interesting that before Jesus goes, he has an encounter with a couple of individuals and one says, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. Now we see Jesus being so loving and so caring and so kind and Jesus is reaching out to all these other people and he's saying, yes, absolutely, Roman centurion, I'll come into your house and yes, leper, I will reach out and I will touch you and yes, I will go to Peter's house and then he has two disciples that come and they say, we wanna follow you and he actually discourages them from following him. What is that? I don't understand this. Because Jesus treats disciples differently than he treats outsiders. Because Jesus is about to get on a boat that some might consider a suicide mission. Because Jesus is about to go confront some territorial powers and he doesn't want anybody, you know, jumping out of the boat or being a detriment to the mission. He's like, listen, there, we are now crossing over to a new assignment. And part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, if you're gonna walk with me, you need to know that I'm gonna go into some dark spaces. I'm going to confront principalities. I'm going to tear down systems. I'm going to say things that could get you killed. Reference Acts chapter four. Or do you think Peter and John got the fortitude and the boldness to stand up against the Sanhedrin? It's in moments like this when Jesus is saying, come on guys, let's go on a mission trip. And by the way, let me just say this to all of you guys today because I'm your pastor. Short-term missions is not an option. Caring about Guatemala and Eswatini and Japan and China and Pakistan and Bhutan and Colombia, North Korea, Peru, uh, that's not an option. It's not, oh, well, I, you know, I really believe God has called me here to Colorado Springs. So be it. But part of the Christian journey is actually launching beyond your perimeter and beyond your borders of safety and caring about the unreached. It is not an option. Like, just do it once. Do it once. But you've got to get out of your comfort zone. Because something is gonna happen 
when you go beyond the borders of your neighborhood, your family, your school, your city, your nation, something happens. You're disoriented, you're disrupted, you're affected in a way that you cannot be otherwise, and you see a part of the nature of God that you would never be able to experience any way else. And I'm just here to tell you guys, part of following Jesus means that we are fishers of people. And that means that we go out into the deep waters to reach the unreached. Jonathan, would you come? And all of our ministers at the table, would you come, please? I should have preached that a few weeks ago before we had our missions launch. It's too late, guys. You have to wait till 2020 to go with Antioch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is true, though. <laughs> we have a fall trip coming up. A few weeks ago, we had a prayer meeting. We had three Sunday nights of prayer back in that little room back there. And on one of those Sundays, it was actually the Sunday that Jonathan preached on this Matthew 4 passage. I began looking at that story in a way that I've never looked at it before where Jesus came up to those men and he said follow me and I will make you fishers of people and I realized that in all my days of following Jesus I had never asked Jesus to make me a fisher of people I never said Jesus will you will you take every part of my life will you take even my physical composition the fact that I'm half Asian half Caucasian will you take my experience following my dad and being a military brat, would you, would you take my education? Would you take all of it, God? And somehow, some way, would you take the interests and the passions that I, that I care about? Would you, would you, would you take the, the way I made and would you just teach me how to fish for people? Teach me how to get skilled. You don't, you don't catch Oklahoma catfish and bass the same way you catch Colorado river trout. They're different. And you just roll out there and try to use the same bait. You're rolling out with your Romans road and your goofy tracks. And <laughs> I'm telling you, we're in a postmodern era. It's a different day. But you say, God, teach me how to be a fisherman. Teach me how to be a fisherwoman. Teach me how to get out there. Teach me how to get in the boat with you. Teach me. I want to be a fisherman. I want to be a fisherwoman. Let's all stand to our feet today. We are here today, the majority of us, because there were people in our life that cared about our faith. We're here today, every single one of us, experiencing the beauty of Christian life and community. Because whether it was a father or a mother or a teacher or a pastor or a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or a missionary, I don't know your story, but I know someone shared the gospel with you and brought you to Jesus. And I'm so glad they did. But when I look at these empty seats and I look at the bread and the cup that's left over, I think about this week. This week, there will be someone who contemplates death by suicide. This week. This week, there will be someone that is signing divorce papers. This week, there will be a son or a daughter locking themselves in a room because they just got bullied on the internet. This week, guys, and some of those people are in our circles. And I'm just saying, God, would you make Antioch a harbor? 
Man, bring on the tackle. Let's dust it off, pull out the rods. Let's re-reel them. I hate stringing up a fishing pole. It's work. It's work to win people to Christ. It takes time, patience, nuance, attention, perceptiveness, discipline, intentionality, commitment to the relationship over the long term, not being too patent, not being too impatient. You yank that hook out of the water too soon, it's empty. Nothing there. You gotta nurture it. You gotta nurture it. You gotta go back to the same spot. We just hold our hands out today, Jesus. Thank you that you have won us. And we're asking you today, come Holy Spirit, fill us with fire, fill us with power, fill us with love. Because we wanna be on mission with you. We wanna be fishers of people. We wanna experience the exhilaration of leading someone to Christ for the very first time. God, we wanna know what it feels like to have tears falling down our face when someone that we led to Jesus gets baptized and, and we're there. We wanna see the spread of the gospel touch grandmothers and grandfathers and heal family relationships and start new lineages and new legacies. God, we wanna be a part of that today and I'm asking today, God, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make us a harvest house. God, as we come and receive the bread and the cup, I pray that if there is anybody in this house that is far from you, that grace would just cover, that love would fill every individual in this room today. And they would know by the spirit that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the son of God and Jesus died and resurrected to bring all of humanity back into relationship with God. He is not mad at you, friend. Doesn't matter what you've done or what you didn't do. He's not hanging rules over your head. He is fiercely passionate for you. And he's the only one who can redeem your life and help you start new. Friend, I'm asking you today, by the power and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, stop saying no to God, stop resisting, stop running. Say yes to Jesus. God, forgive me, cleanse me, heal me, bring me into your family. In Jesus' name, guys, let's come and let's receive. Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com.